Welcome to Autoimmune Revolution Radio. I'm your host, Justin Janoska, clinician and founder of the Autoimmune Revolution. After watching my mom suffer with autoimmune disease, I have made it my mission and purpose to help people like you. Unlock the door to better results, regain control of your body, and feel like yourself again. I want you to become an autoimmune alchemist and get your life back. Thank you so much for taking the time to tune in. May you be filled today with joy, abundance, and loving kindness. Peace and love. As traumatized children, we always dreamed that someone would come and save us. We never dreamed that it would, in fact, be ourselves as adults. I really love that quote from Alice Little because it really speaks to the truth of trauma. A lot of us have been told the story or been under the impression that someone will fix us, heal us, save us, even as adults. And as much as we might want that, as much as I might want that for myself, it's not the truth. And the, the fact of the matter is it's our job to heal ourselves. And this is what I always tell people, whether they have trauma or just an autoimmune disease or some other condition, is that it's not my job or anyone's job for that matter to fix you, heal you, cure you. It's your job to heal yourself. You just cannot do it alone right now. So that's why we have, that's why we have support. And this is something we have to be reminded of a lot of times because we might rely on people to fix us when it doesn't work that way. So it's unfortunate that things happen to us as kids for sure, but now we're adults and we have to get the tools and resources that we need to move on and live our best life. So that brings us to today's discussion all about the journey of healing trauma. So. Welcome to Autoimmune Revolution Radio. I'm really excited for you to be here today because this is a very powerful episode and it's actually the most important topic for me when I talk about health and wellness, honestly, at this point in my career. It is the thing I'm most passionate about. And I, I decided to do this episode, which I, I must say has been a long time coming because I feel like I should have done this a long time ago. But here we are, now we're doing it. And I'm going to break down literally the whole healing journey of how I look at trauma from start to finish. And it doesn't mean that this is the only way, the best way, but if you really think about it as I'm speaking and the different layers to this, you'll see that it makes sense. And I think a lot of people like my colleagues and therapists, I know are doing similar things. You might say different, they're using the same kind of ingredients probably, but there's a different combination and order of events. And that's really the art of this because that's the bottom line with trauma healing. I'll just tell you right now up front is that it's all an experiment. All of it is an experiment. No one knows what to do up front. We might be specialized in this therapy or that therapy, but we are kind of figuring it out along the way and seeing how you respond. This is why no two people really respond to the same treatment. Okay. Someone might do really well with uh, sensory motor psychotherapy and another person may not, another person might do really good with Reiki or EMDR. Another person may not. And we have to honor that. And that's why we have to explore this together. You don't want to go into a therapy thinking that this is the be all end all. It's going to fix me. And if it doesn't work, then nothing works because that's not how it is. So I use a combination of a lot of things and I'll explain this as we go into the show. 
But I think you're going to find this episode very useful and informative, especially if you want to get a sense of what I'm doing and how I do it and why it's been helpful and why I've been able to help a lot of people with trauma or distress in general. Okay, so please uh, be present and listen closely to what I'm going to share with you because I think it will really help you. So let's begin by getting a clear definition of what trauma actually is, just because I still think a lot of us don't really understand what it is. And I have a whole episode on that actually way back in the archives of the podcast, if you're interested in that from last year. But for today's definition, we're going to go with something from the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration. And they say trauma results from an event, series of events, or set of circumstances that is experienced by an individual as physically or emotionally harmful or threatening, and that has lasting adverse effects on the individual's functioning and physical, social, emotional, and spiritual well-being. That's a mouthful, but really the point is anything can be traumatic and can leave the psychic wound. It's really self-identified. And that's something I, I talk about a lot nowadays because people have this opposition to this idea of trauma. Well, I didn't have trauma or I don't know what you're talking about. I had a great childhood and it's, it's very uh, nuanced and hard to see it because when we're young, we, we kind of block things out or we don't actually feel the effects of it right away. It comes later. And that's part of the discovery and self-awareness and introspection and looking at your biography and a lot of assessments have to take place because we are acting now as an adult behaviorally emotionally in the way we're thinking that is a reflection of that and i talk about this a lot on social media if you follow me with all these coping patterns that we can get involved with so the, the point is that whether it's trauma or not i don't really care honestly because if you have stress now in the present day or the past, it does matter if it's affecting your life and ruining relationships or getting in the way of your best life and showing up authentically and powerfully. Okay. So it's all relative, but we have to just be honest about that and stop being attached to the word trauma because you might not like it. You may not think you have it, but you may indeed have it if you were open-minded and that's why we have to have this discussion anyway. <laughs> so trauma is one thing and stress is another but they can be obviously intertwined okay now i will tell you this there are different types of trauma that we should be aware of and just to keep it simple there is um, acute stress disorder or acute trauma and this is the type of thing that a lot of people go through probably everybody will go through at some point in their life and that is basically some event happens it resolves within the first month or so you might have Avoidance behaviors, hyper hyper arousal symptoms, um, feeling panicky or anxious, or feeling like you're in high stress a lot. Okay, and but then within a month they say you're back to normal and you resolve and move on. I mean that's kind of how I feel about a lot of things these days and what I go through. It's fleeting, it's temporary, and that's fine. Now. Complex trauma is obviously different where it's multi-layered. It's, there are multiple experiences. There's reoccurring trauma. This is where, um, you, you find ongoing exposure to threats and danger 
that usually starts in childhood. So it's interpersonal disruption with the caregiver or the parent. And I would say complex trauma is an umbrella term for a lot of people who have relational trauma or a developmental trauma disorder, which is basically that. It is this violation with no escape, and it has to do with this uh, disruption and stress within the caregiving system, the, the domestic life. Now, this can lead to what is known as complex PTSD, um, or they actually call it uh, Desnos, which is disorder of extreme stress not otherwise specified. And these are symptoms that m some people are aware of that last for many, many months, maybe even years, and it has these, these traits of intrusive images and avoidance behaviors and increased arousal and reactivity and negative beliefs and flashbacks and those sort of things. And then finally, there is extreme or dissociative trauma, uh, DID as they call it. And this is a little bit rare. I don't see this a lot really, but uh, or work with people with these sort of conditions, but it's something that can happen. And really there is enough life threat in a, and um, to, to cause dissociation. And but dissociation is taking um, hold of someone's life and it's really running the show, that's pretty extreme. And really that requires a, a lot of in-depth therapy and support and um, is much more on the extreme end of things, if you ask me. Now, I wanna tell you this briefly before we get into the whole journey here of healing trauma. But when we have trauma, we are oftentimes given labels and diagnoses. And this is where we look towards the DSM-5 or the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. Okay, obviously mental health issues is one outcome of trauma. It's not just that, but for the sake of this episode, we need to talk about it because people, people are often diagnosed with anxiety disorder or depression or bipolar or schizophrenia or personality disorders and those sort of things. Okay. And here's what's really interesting about this is that we get so wrapped up in labels and so does modern psychiatry, but studies have looked at this and I'm, I'm quoting something from a study here. And this is, this is what they say about these labels. Diagnostic labels create the illusion of an explanation that are scientifically meaningless and create stigma and prejudice. Diagnoses frequently and uncritically reported as quote-unquote real illnesses are in fact made on the basis of internally inconsistent and contradictory patterns of largely arbitrary criteria. Okay, so really in a nutshell, it's all trauma-based. And this is something that Dr. Bessel van der Kolk, who authored The Body Keeps a Score, talks about. And it's just, he calls it like a, a smorgasbord of, of trauma-related diagnoses. All diagnoses really mask the role of trauma in adverse childhood experiences. They share little about the individual and what treatment is needed, okay? And the, the thing is, there's a lot of overlap with these symptoms between each of these mental health diagnoses, okay? So it's convenient for modern medicine to do this, but at the end of the day, it's really the same thing. Um, so we need to still look at this as a trauma-rooted issue. And again, not get so wrapped up in the label. Of course, there might be specific treatments that have been proven in research to address 
bipolar versus personality disorder versus schizophrenia, etc. But we need to look at the bigger picture, the 30,000 foot view of what is really going on. All right, so let's get into the actual journey of healing trauma. There are a number of steps here that I'm going to outline for you. And the first one is simply awareness. Okay, obviously we have to be aware of what is going on and what it is that we have, what wounds are there, what injuries we faced, and accepting that. Because no one's going to change if they're trying to be convinced that they have trauma and they don't believe it, right? And that's something I'm very clear about is I'm not here to convince you you have trauma or you have this going on, but let's keep an open mind and let's be let's do some exploration of your past and what happened. And then we can make a conclusion or a decision if that's something you're dealing with today. And ultimately you make the decision around that. So we have to have awareness of the wounds. And if we don't have awareness, then we can't move forward, period. Secondly is making a choice. Okay, so we're aware of what is there. Now it's about making a choice. Do we do something about it or not? This is where a lot of people most of the time get stuck. And it's a lot of times why people remain sick with disease and illness or have cancer or suffer with autoimmune disease because they are choosing to do nothing about it and they're living in a trauma response. And I'm going to tell you right now, if that's the way you're living your life, then forget about it. You're not going to heal your disease or issues because that's how powerful it is in affecting the body. So think about that when you are attached to protocols or doing all the protocols for your body and you're not getting results. It's only half the equation. Okay, there is a mind-body connection. We have to come to terms with that if we're not. So we make a choice. Do I become a victim or do I become a victor? Here's what I'll say. Um, everyone is going to, well, not everyone, but a lot of people will become a victim at some point when they go through trauma. Uh, if it's early on in your life, probably not because you're too young to even put words together. But when you're an early adult and you can make sense of things and your brain is developed, then things change a little bit. I know for me in my trauma, what I went through was, was much uh, older in my life. So it didn't impact me the way it would for a six-year-old. Okay. And there are differences with that, which I talked about in my last episode on childhood maltreatment, by the way. So go check that out if you haven't. And so I for sure became a victim at one point in my life with what I was dealing with because, you know, I didn't know what to do. And I thought the world was out to get me. I thought everything was unfair. And that's a story that we tell ourselves all the time, isn't it? And it's okay. Everyone has the right and the, the privilege to be a victim to wallow in their pity and have a pity party, it's okay. I did it, you're gonna do it, you've done it, I'm sure. And if you're not doing that and you haven't, then great. What I say a lot of the time is you must be before you become. If you wanna become something better than what is going on right now for you and who you are, okay, I hear that. But you have to be, you're allowed to be where you are and I think there's not enough discussion around that because it's all about growth and uh, self-development and manifestation this and that and we got to just heal and move on and no there is a point of a need to be where you are and that's okay right you're still taking action of course but you're not rushing and striving to make something happen when you're not ready for it yet one of my favorite quotes reads if i remember correctly here uh the process of change is not in becoming what you're not, it's being where you are. 
So that's the paradox. When you can learn to be where you are, you're more likely to change. <laughs> okay. So uh, again, you're, you're still going to take action and do things you need to do, but you loosen the grip and you're not striving and, and trying to force an outcome you're not ready for yet. Okay. So we've gone through the victimhood state or we chose to become a victor and now we're going to take action. Okay. So what does that look like? This means we're going to go through the unburdening process and that's a big catch all term and, and umbrella term for, okay, we're going to put in the work and do things. Now there are four different components to this that I'm going to touch on. And this is something that I was looking into, I guess it was last year in, in school and it really blew my mind when I realized, wow, we've kind of got it all backwards in the sense of what we're focusing on. Okay. And that is therapeutic relationship techniques and therapies, expectancy and extra therapeutic change. So studies have looked at how much of these different components make up the healing and burning process actually. And you'll be really surprised to hear what they show. So, Placebo, um, the belief that something is working definitely plays a role. Okay, we gotta have that, I think. It's for sure important. Then there's also this extra therapeutic change, which really touches on personality, attitudes, and life circumstances and things that influence results. Okay. Like things outside of us in our in our environment. That definitely is part of this too. But believe it or not, because a lot of people get wrapped up again in the techniques and the therapies, which one do I do and which is better and all that jazz. Like it is with diet, what diet is the best for this condition. It's the same thing. It's still an issue. Techniques and therapies account for nearly 15%, 15% of the whole pie needed to improve patient outcomes from one study that I looked at. Okay. Extra therapeutic change, the therapeutic relationship together, account for 70% of the therapeutic factors in healing. So this is something that a lot of us don't realize because we think that we need to get the right therapy to get better. And it doesn't matter. We need to have the thing that's going to be most effective and useful for us, but what's overlooked and underappreciated and recognized is the therapeutic relationship and who you're working with. Because if you're doing a great therapy with somebody who you're not vibing with and is, is actually triggering you or something like that, is it really going to work? Is it right? All recovery and healing takes place within the therapeutic relationship. We know clinically and, and scientifically that the person, the therapist, the counselor, that therapeutic relationship contributes to therapy outcome at least as much as the therapy that you're using. Okay. It is a primary factor in successful therapy. And this is a quote from another study that shows that in a meta-analysis of many research studies on the therapeutic effectiveness, they found that the personal and interpersonal components are essential to effective psychotherapy, whereas techniques have very relatively little effect on therapeutic outcome. Okay. So this is what I have been trying to communicate to a lot of you and my clients actually who get started with us because 
I, it is the most critical part of this. And it's hard to explain because once you're in it, you don't realize this is actually the healing medicine, the relationship you have with somebody until you're in it. And I'm not here to say that I'm the best thing since sliced bread and I'm the best person to work with, but I'm telling you that there is an energetic exchange like it is for a parent and a child, like a mother and a child, like that energy, that, that felt sense is really powerful. So think of it like that, how you would be to your own child and how you have been to your own child, because that is exactly the same thing you're trying to create with a therapist or counselor or someone like myself. That rapport is essential. You have to feel seen and heard and feel safe. And that is the basis for all healing. Without that, forget about it. Everything falls through the cracks. Okay, so with that being said, let's talk about some of the techniques and therapies that are out there that we have to obviously use to some degree, right? We have to do something. So what do you use? And this is a, the million dollar question. And again, I'm going to tell you right now, there is no right answer. There is no right or wrong answer. It's all whatever works for you. It's like going to the clothing store, some your favorite store, trying on this dress, trying on these pants. Does it fit? Does it not? You need, need a different size? Like that's what you're doing with therapy. It's the same thing, really. And you hope that you get it right the first time, but maybe you don't. And this is why we have to mix and match. And, and honestly, you're, you're better off doing a bunch of different therapies, not just being attached to one single thing. I hear this all the time. Oh, I did EMDR for six weeks. It didn't work. And now I'm going to do this thing or then I'm going to do this. Or they, they feel very disillusioned and disappointed. And I'm like, well, because maybe you need that and this and this and this. Or maybe that didn't work for you at all and just scrap it and move on to something else. But I don't subscribe to the whole sort of checklist approach. I do this technique, then I do EMDR, and then I do uh, sensory motor psychotherapy, and then I do uh, plant medicine, and then I do this. It's like, no, that's the wrong approach, and it's no different than with than with disease. You, you got to look at the whole gestalt of a person, the whole individual, and see what different uh, angles and ingredients are needed to make your own healing soup, you might say. That's the analogy I like to use. You're, you're creating a pot of stew and you're putting in some different ingredients. So you're putting in some cinnamon, some celery, some potatoes, maybe you want beef in there, maybe you want some uh, allspice and you know, you're playing with it and that's how it is. So you could be using anything like EMDR or uh, CBT, of course. Cognitive behavioral therapy is obviously very popular and the, and the go-to in, in conventional therapy and dialectical behavioral therapy, DBT, or maybe somatic experiencing or sensory motor psychotherapy or expressive arts or brain spotting or plant medicine or, you know, the, the list goes on and on and on. There's so many things out there. Honestly, I had to really think about what I was using because I didn't have a name for it. It was a combination of a lot of things, a lot of these ingredients that are from different therapies because that was how I was trained. That's how I learned in my private mentorship. So when I got into school and I learned, oh, here's actually what this therapy is and here's what it entails. I'm like, oh, I've already been doing that. Great. I've, I haven't done that one. Interesting. And that's just how I do things. So I, I really feel like I needed to explain to people moving forward what I'm doing so they have an idea and realize that uh, there is a lot of crossover. You're going to be, you're going to see this uh, when you really break it down because there's different therapies are borrowing different things from each other a lot of times. Not always, but it, it is definitely a thing. So cognitive behavioral therapy is important to do sometimes. I mean, I'll just be honest with you. Like I still do it. 
I don't do it like all the time or I'm not even really thinking about it. Like today I'm going to do CBT on a client. Like that's not how I think. I just go in and do things. And sometimes there's discussions that will challenge people's inaccurate beliefs or thoughts. And I'll say, okay, like let's challenge that thought or uh, where's the evidence for that thought, right? That's all that, that's all that is, right? Making these thoughts more realistic and adaptable. I like to do a lot of mindfulness-based cognitive therapy now, which is uh, a slight variation of that. And it just gets mindfulness involved and getting into the body. It's, it's, it's quite useful actually, but nothing too extravagant. And honestly would not really be enough to get people better, if you ask me. Then there's dialectical behavioral therapy, DBT, which sometimes I might do, but it's not really common. But it does share ingredients actually that, again, like I'm saying here, you might find another therapies because dbt involves things like mindfulness and emotional regulation and uh, creating action steps to diffuse distressing moments okay but to really change repressed emotions buried feelings behaviors beliefs it's more of a bottom-up approach for me what do i mean by that i mean getting out of the head trying to stop trying to figure it out and get into the body and tap into the sensations and feelings, the emotions, and trying to figure out where they live in the body. And it's, it's a whole art, and that's really why it's so great, because it gets you out of your head. Because you can't always think your way out of this. I tell people all the time, and I'll tell it to you, you can't, you really can't uh, change your behaviors and, and stop behaving one way and, and trying to act a different way. Right? I can't get you to feel one thing and not feel another thing. It happens organically, but using the body is a much more effective and gentler approach, I must say. It's actually a, a more, more safe way to not re-traumatize somebody. In fact, it doesn't really happen. I don't really see it because of the relationship that's happening, the safety that's there, and the client's skills that are developed to know what to do if they get triggered and, what, and how to address it. But again, the whole stage is set up for success from the beginning, so that it doesn't really happen. And that's why I have found my approach to be successful. Um, if you just talk about things and tell me your story for the 12th time, you, you know, that's not really great. And I'm not a big fan of that approach, which a lot of conventional therapy will do, right? Maybe you've experienced that. So anyway, I'm gonna read off here some of the therapies I'm using. But I don't call it this. I don't talk about it in this way because it doesn't really help me. It doesn't, it doesn't really help anybody. It's just a way to categorize what you're doing and label what you're doing, just like the way you label a mental health illness, okay? Just for convenience purposes. So I do person-centered therapy, okay? That includes emotions, rapport, attitude, having uh, helping clients have a sense of direction, helping them guide the ship, Okay, nothing too special there. There is Adlerian therapy that includes people's biography, their story, early trauma, of course, focusing on the relationship and also their strengths. Okay, a little kind of similar a, a little bit, right? And then I do solution focused therapy sometimes, which is, you know, focusing on people's strengths and their resiliency and, and what's possible now. And that happens kind of organically in the way I work with people, but I don't call it hey, we're doing solution-focused therapy today, <laughs> okay? And then there's psychodynamic therapy, and this is, again, focusing on early childhood and past experiences. 
and unconscious feelings that may be impacting your emotions today. So we got to look at what's happening now, the feelings and emotions that are showing up in the moment in the session. Okay, and then uh, I love doing expressive arts, and this is one of my go-tos because it gets you out of the head and it helps you to convey a story non-verbally. It helps you to reframe trauma stories, make new meaning from it. It engages the body, and it's used, utilizing uh, experiential multi-sensory activities to convey the sensory-based and emotional layers of memory. So it's really about the idea that you need to feel your way into something and what is coming up for you in order for you to think your way out of it and to find a new path going forward. So it's really great. There's a lot of different ways of doing this, but it's one of the, the go-tos for me, like I said. Now, I also like to do parts work. And this is also similar to what internal family systems is, which is to look at the internal family and the different subpersonalities that we all have. Whether you have trauma or not, we all have these parts of ourselves. Okay, you've got a workaholic part, you have a super mom part, you have a, a gym uh, fitness fiend part of you, you have an overachiever part, you have a, um, you know, <laughs> binge eating part, who knows, what else, right? It's all about working with those different subpersonalities and how to create harmony within. Very, very effective. One, one of the things I'm using a lot. Okay, so that's, it, it gives you an idea, hopefully, of what I'm doing. Now, at the end of the day, the point is to cultivate these key ingredients to help you restore your sense of self and to move on. That is, and these are the 10, uh, I think they're 10, 10 S's, social engagement, Silence and solitude, we'll call that too. Strength, satisfaction, self-participation, self-regulation, self-leadership, safety, and story. Okay, nine. Right. So those are the those are the nine real ingredients that are needed to heal and to unburden. So again, the therapeutic relationship is a big part of why a lot of these things happen. The techniques are there to facilitate and to help access these things and bring it to the surface, you might say. But there, again, there's a lot of ways to do it. But these are the key ingredients. We need to build strength. We need to have uh, self-regulation and safety involved. Like those are the big ones right there. Strength, safety, self-leadership, and self-regulation. Okay. Um, again, another way of looking at this is that a child can't learn something new if they're in fight or flight mode, right? You have to get them to feel calm, relaxed, regulated, right? They need to build a relationship with them, rapport, and make them feel seen and heard. And then you can share something new and how to help them move forward. So think of it like that. It's the same thing for us as adults with trauma. Hey, before I forget, I have to mention, I have a brand new trauma workshop that I'm starting in just a few weeks. And if you're finding this episode so far to be really interesting and you want to learn what I'm talking about and how to apply it to yourself, then this is the workshop for you. It's called the Beyond Survival Workshop. And I called it that because it's not just for the person who has trauma, like I'm talking about here, but also for the individual who just has a lot of stress. So maybe you don't have trauma. Maybe you just have a lot of stress in your present day life and you need to gain a better grip on it. Then this is the place for you because you're going to learn all the ingredients I'm talking about right now. 
the nine ingredients to create your perfect concoction so that you can teach the body to feel safe and heal your illnesses, heal your disease, your autoimmunity, whatever that is much more effectively and become the best version of yourself. That is the whole point of this. So over six weeks, you will learn how to break coping strategies like perfectionism, seeking control, people pleasing, not setting boundaries, those sort of things. You'll master daily stress, self-regulation, a lot of great techniques I'd love to share that a lot of people don't know about. You're gonna learn strategies to build emotional intelligence and cultivate the mental resiliency you need to get through the day and kick ass. I mean, how great does that sound to you? All right, so in my experience, this is what people are lacking. It's not more protocols, it, because this becomes the gateway to improving your symptoms if you have a condition. If you are without a diagnosis though, that's totally fine too, this is still for you because these tools I'm teaching are incredibly valuable and they will carry you forward in life and allow you to build better resiliency for the next stress or situation that comes down the road. We could all use an upgrade in our ability to strengthen self-awareness and self-regulation, myself included. These are the very things I'm doing with myself, on myself actually, on a daily basis. So think of it like that. You're gonna gain a lot of resources and tools that you need to weather the storm of life and not be routinely triggered. This workshop will provide you so many easy to learn techniques to integrate into your life so that you can come out on the other side with greater ease and confidence. I mean, again, who doesn't want that? I know I do. So come sign up now while spots are open. We only have room for 10 this round and I would love to see you there, all right? Check out the link in the show notes to sign up for the Beyond Survival Workshop, and I look forward to supporting you in just a few weeks. Okay, so I talked to you about the different ingredients that you need, and this is where the path gets a little weird, and it can go in a, in a number of different directions. And the part about this that's actually the hardest to explain, because we're learning different things about ourselves, what we need to do and change, and again, it's all about neuroplasticity and allowing the brain to rewire and form new neural connections. Right, this is what it's all about. We do these routines and rituals, things on our own in session, outside of session, to help reinforce these pathways. And we do this without an outcome in mind. We allow insights to arrive on their own. So it's gonna come in waves. There's an ebb and flow to this. Detours are going to happen. Things come up, we get triggered, it's then we're safe again, we're good, and we can integrate what we've learned whenever that happens. And this is what allows us to be more effective in our life. And eventually we see more of this happening and the brain sees it and then you start to repeat it over and over again and you're less triggered and you're just, you're just changing behaviorally in ways you didn't notice before. But be aware that there's this sort of back and forth that happens. And that's okay. It's, you're, all, you're always moving in the right direction but it's never gonna be some linear thing just like it is with weight loss, right? So along the way, you are starting to access your true essence or your true self. What do I mean by that? You know, so there's a part of us that we all have. It's like the, the sun in the sky. You don't have to do anything to create that. It's always there. And so your true essence, which holds the wisdom that you need, the compassion, the love, the clarity, all that is there. And it really is kind of synonymous with our, our true authentic self and, and who we are at the core that we've lost sight of or never really had access to seeing in the first place. So we're cultivating that through the, the relationship, the techniques, and we're simultaneously shedding the old identity 
And so we're spending a lot of time usually integrating the skills and things you're learning in session with the therapies and through the relationship, you're learning this and re and getting, uh, excuse me, you're reinforcing those and getting support around it. And it's all about repetition. And when you repeat these skills and practices, you're, you're uh, creating new neural pathways, like I said. And then all of a sudden, you start to see your behaviors change, which is part of the evidence that you're changing. And a new identity starts to blossom. So we're unburdening these pains and emotions. This dual approach is taking place where that happens. And we're redefining who we are. And it helps us see that our trauma was really only one drop of water in the ocean. That's eventually where we get to. And we see that we're the whole ocean. You're the water, the drops of water, and you're the whole ocean at the same time. And that that trauma is just one drop of water in the ocean. And that might not be something you can get on board with and believe right now, but eventually you start to see that as the healing takes place. And once you start to change your consciousness and your perception on this, then that's when you know you're on the right path and you're actually moving into the phase of post-traumatic growth. It's hard to explain because you have to experience it. It's an experiential sort of thing. So to help illustrate the point here, I'm going to play for you a two minute clip from one of my clients who came into this with me, sort of with this idea of, I don't really know what I have going on. I have some anxiety and I have some issues, but you know, I'm not really sure what to get out of this. And listen to what she says, because it's pretty profound. So my bloating has went down a lot. Um, obviously like mentally, like, I feel like I've been able to like manage my anxiety, like so much better. It's, it's honestly insane. Just like trust myself more. Everyone has personally acknowledged it. I mean, everyone that's like really close to me has like personally, like made my, my mom, you know, my sister. And it's like, that's how I know that it's like showing because it's like, people are realizing it. It's honestly insane how much I've grown and how much has changed in six months. I've grown more in six months than literally my, like my entire life. Like I feel like it, it's been insane. I feel like I'm a new person and I wish everyone could feel the way that I feel. Was it worth it for you to, 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 to <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. yeah hundred. I mean, a hundred percent. I mean, I'm not going to lie just from watching someone else's experience with you like uh, that's that's how I you know found you obviously really it was just trusting that they were you know being honest with their experience and clearly I I trusted that enough and it's almost like we think that people are gonna like fix us and that's not like what this was like it was like you guiding me to fix myself and then I'm just like wow like, yes, he really did help me. Like he gave me like that wisdom, guiding me and giving me the wisdom to trust myself. And there were so many moments and it's just like, I'm going to casually nonchalantly give you energy or give you wisdom and you're going to be just fine. And I'm like, you don't even say that. You just like, you just do it. Yeah, you're right. It's, it's, you're like, yeah, I know. I do it all the time. Like I truly am trusting my own thoughts and my own decisions. And it's like, it's just a really good feeling. Isn't that pretty incredible? So that really speaks to the point I'm trying to make here about how we can go into something with an expectation, but sometimes we come out of it with uh, a lot of bonuses. We get more out of it than we thought of, or we realize, oh, wow, there's actually more 
within me I need I didn't realize I had going on. I had this unworthiness and this fear and the shame, whatever that is. And you you realize that's a thing you have to address and then you start healing it and then you're even better than before. And so at some point we can then enter the post-traumatic growth phase. And that's another way of saying we have put in the work, we have returned to a sort of psychological, physical, and social equilibrium. We may not be fully 100% better, but we've made a, a massive strides and we're mostly in a in transformative state. And that's when we can say, okay, now we are beyond the trauma. We're beyond just, okay, we're actually doing really good. And now how can we even do better? You know you are here when you see a positive shift happening cognitively, emotionally, the words you're using, your behaviors, you're letting go of emotions and not getting triggered all the time, your behaviors are changing, you're not stuck in coping patterns and trauma responses. That's how you know. You're basically creating a space for a new identity to be put into action. You're seeing your character in the movie transform and change. You're growing into a more integrated self. You're gaining a newfound wisdom. There is a shift in consciousness that takes place and you have something to carry forward. So you're building self mastery, self efficacy, and a sense of self agency, which allows you to have control of your life. There are five domains of the post-traumatic growth phase and they're essentially all these things I just mentioned, but they, they group it into spiritual development, that is connection to a greater source. There's new possibilities. So that's finding out what's sacred in your life, what passions and interests you have. There is meaning and purpose. You know, what are you here for? What do you want to be remembered for? How can you turn your pain and suffering into uh, something of good for others? There is emotional intelligence, which is self-regulation, self-awareness, social skills, and then strength and relationships. So, so authentic connections and with others and having a sense of belonging. So those are the sort of things that we're enhancing and improving as we heal our trauma. So once you get better in those domains, then you know that you're, you're in the post-traumatic growth phase. When you start to see signs of feeling more safe in your body than before, when you start to have the ability to trust what's happening in your body and see things that are happening for you, not to you, you start attracting people that are healthy and that are not intense or exhibiting toxic behavior. When you see yourself standing up for what you believe in and setting boundaries, when you start to see yourself feeling more in control of your life, that self-agency, when you see yourself responding to adversity or challenges versus reacting to them, and when you honor your gut feelings and intuition, that and all of these things are signs and clues that you are healing and letting go of your trauma. One thing I like to talk about is new life meaning and new trauma meaning. And there, there's some subtle differences here, but when you're going through this phase, you're going to have a new life meaning. You're going to write the new chapters of your life. Okay, what's next for me in the story of you? And you're learning about what needs to happen for you to become your next best highest self. You're discovering purpose and what impact you want to leave on this earth. In other words, self-actualization, becoming your best self. And then there's the new trauma meeting. And this is usually the first thing that has to happen first 
before a new life meeting. But this is something that happens along the way through the therapeutic relationship and the healing journey of seeing the lessons and opportunities that can come from the trauma you went through. You know, what do you have to do differently to feel safe? How can you handle the situation or stress next time? Uh, recovering basic needs, giving yourself what you need, getting clear on new rules for yourself, boundaries, restoration of self, all that stuff and more is what that means. So when you can access these components of the post-traumatic growth phase and see these improvements right before your eyes, then you are transcending the trauma and you're embodying this new identity and living into that new integrated self. That happens organically. It's not like you start from the beginning of the journey and go, okay, here's where I am, here's where I want to be, and here's what I look like, here's the family that I have, here are the things I possess, and here's my life. Like, that doesn't happen. I mean, you can do that, but it doesn't really work that way. Most people are so shell-shocked and frozen that they can't even imagine a different life. So we don't allow that to take, I mean, I'm not saying you can't do that, but it doesn't feel realistic. You have to really feel your way into that slowly over time, and then this can happen. Then you can start acting on the new beliefs that you develop and the thoughts and the feelings. And you're becoming more of a victor. You're, you're incredibly powerful and you're feeling empowered. And trauma doesn't define you anymore. It doesn't, conf doesn't even confine you anymore. But it inspires you and it influences you to make a difference for others and to help others who are in pain or to use your experience to benefit and contribute to the benefit of all. Now, I want to make something clear. It doesn't mean you negate the pain or the trauma that you went through. It represents a positive adaptation and transformation, right? But we don't just erase it and go, okay, well, it's over now and it didn't happen. Like, no, you still remember, we acknowledge it and validate it that happened, but it's not something that straps us down any longer. Okay, so we don't erase the trauma, we just reduce the impact that it has on us. And that's what it's all about. It's all about perspective. And wrapping up here, I want to read for you this quote that I really like because it talks about the sense of resiliency that we need to have that ultimately is what allows us to move on. And it goes, highly resilient people don't fall apart, or if they do, it's not for long. They call on their inner strength and recruit outside resources to keep moving forward. And they tweak their future expectations to fit a new reality, be it the loss of a loved one, a life-changing diagnosis, or a devastating experience. That is ultimately where we want to be as humans. When you can cultivate that sort of resiliency, it doesn't mean you won't have pain and feel emotions. It's more about how long it lasts and the intensity of it. It's going to get less and less each time. And this is what happens, even for myself included. So next time I go through something very stressful or traumatic, I, I will feel it, but I will go through it much quicker and effectively than the last time. And that is what we can hope for. All right, so that concludes this episode. It was a lot of information, I think, but I hope you found it really helpful and you got something out of it. And I hope that it made sense and that you can get a better sense of how I do this and kind of gain a new uh, perspective on the healing journey from my point of view. And I have to remind you again, the Beyond Survival Workshop is open for enrollment. 
Just click the link in the show notes and set up now. I would really love to see you there and support you in any way I can, whether you have stress in your daily life or trauma or both, all right? So thank you so much for your attention and time today. Uh, let me know your thoughts. Leave a review for me on this podcast. I would greatly appreciate that so much. And I wish you nothing but the best. Peace and love. And I will see you next time on the show.